Hi, I'm Dan Sanguinetti. And I am Russell Lee. And this is Film Rhapsody. In this episode, Russell and I talk to Goulburn-based filmmaker Michael Watson, who has been my filmmaking partner in crime for well over a decade. We dive in on another walk down memory lane, talking about Dan and Mike's early projects, including Theatre of the Dead, Love Stuck, the improvised feature, Mike working closely with Jim Jeffries on Me and My Mates versus the Zombie Apocalypse. Okay, it's ringing. Whoa. Michael, it's Russell from Canberra. How you doing? How you going, buddy? Not too bad. Uh, Dan's here as well. Say hi, Dan. Hello. <laughs> hey, Dan. So what are you doing tonight? Uh, Boring. Hang up. Nothing, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you did that. I'm going to call him back. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. <laughs> How did you enjoy being part of our first podcast prank call? <laughs> it was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Dan. Yeah. Dan. Yeah. Hang up again. No, I'm not going <laughs> to hang up again. I've actually taken the phone away from Russell. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, Michael. Um, Welcome to the show. One day, <laughs> Thank soon, you. one day soon, we will get you to come and be in the studio when you don't have dad and more husband duties. For now, I mean, what we're doing at the moment, as you've probably been listening, is we're just trying to get to know people, I guess, and get a sense of the the story of of what we are as filmmakers. Um, so why don't you share a little bit about your, 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 your I guess, so our f- filmmaking journey? Because we, we've been making movies since, what, 2009? Something stupid. Seven, I think 2007. Jesus, I didn't actually think it was that early, but yeah, you're probably that, right. That was that was distracted, wasn't it? Yeah, distracted. Um, it was a good experience. Yeah, we learned a lot on that, and I learned a lot, I guess, from a different number of levels. We we met each other when we were working at Prime. Yeah, and we did <laughs> Prime Television. That is, yeah, year. Prime Television, and yeah, and then when we both which left, is now Prime Seven, yeah, Prime Seven, and then when we both sort of left, that's when I think we just kept. Is that when the uh, station went downhill? Uh, no, I don't know. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we yeah, so went, yeah, we left about the same time, and you decided, that's when you decided to start Sanguinetti Media. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think we'd, we'd done a couple of little things like before you decided that, but then, yeah, you just were like, yeah, let's get on board. And yeah. It kind of kind yeah. of led to... Kind of led to Theatre of the Dead pretty pretty soon after that because what was happening in the, the Canberra film industry at the time, people were trying to collaborate and put themselves into a, into different groups that can sort of encourage more film production. I mean, it didn't all yeah. work out, but it did it did result in Theatre of the Dead, which led to a lot of um, friendships that we've actually continued and still work with today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess a question I have about Theatre of the Dead is... Uh, what would you say was your strongest memory from that film shoot? Um, it was somewhat of a significant shoot because we shot it in 17 days back to back. It was, it was, uh, well, it was, it was a volunteer love of 
filmmaking yeah. deal. And so the fact that we were all there for 17 days and not a single walk-off set, if that's the right way to put it, where everyone who started on yeah. day one was there at day 17. Well, obviously being a zombie in a scene was, was pretty cool. Actually, a couple of scenes. Um, but I think you only see me in the one scene where I come busting through a door. Um, and then in the behind the scenes of that, trip passed over up the stairs and everyone else fell on top of me. Um, <laughs> that, that was pretty fun. Um, I don't know, it's just a, a whole bunch of things just all mixed together, really. Just the whole experience, I think, is just something I hadn't been part of anything of that scale before. And uh, it was just, yeah, such a eye-opening experience which then led to obviously going to, to Cannes to the film market. So, you yeah, know, that's right. without that, that wouldn't have happened. So That that um, that trip still feels like a dream, to be honest. Us going to Cannes and the Marche du Film, I think was perhaps one of the life-changing experiences uh, that we got to have as filmmakers because it just gave us so much perspective of um, what our industry is really about um, rather than sort of what, we can assume for, from our little city, we got to experience yeah, what other people are doing and how they approach things, and we got to see the scale of the film industry. Yeah, that, I think that was the biggest thing for me was just how many, many people are trying to, to sell their many, many films. You know, a lot of people only think about the big budget sort of films, I guess, um, if you're not sort of, I guess, in the industry or a big film fan, um, you don't understand how many films are actually being made and trying to be sold across the world. Yeah, it's, um, it's, I think it's... that was the biggest thing that I took away was just how tiny it made, <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> made it sort of seem. Yeah, I mean, like the experience put us in our place, basically. It, yeah. I guess the result of that was sort of what led to the next action, which led to the next action. I mean, how do you cause an yeah. effect. positive after that? Uh, I can tell you what, when I came, when I, I don't know what Mike was felt. I know you were like exhausted because on that plane trip back, I remember you just sleeping for most of it. I'm pretty sure I did too, but I was, I was, <laughs> I was so deflated. Like I, I, I shouldn't have been like, we just had this amazing experience, but getting yeah. home, I was just like, like, I don't know it felt so diff- different afterwards that I, I guess you go in there with just like sort of eye wide childlike mm-hmm. excitement mm-hmm. for being a filmmaker. You lost um, your innocence. And then, yeah, I lost my innocence. Yeah. Um, and, and then we got back and it was like, you know, it's like, it's like your favorite magic trick got shown how it was done. <laughs> and, and, and now it's just the magic's gone. Mm. It was like yeah. a, a, an absolute reality changer. Changer. Yeah. Um, but it helped focus, I think. And it really did lead to the next project um, that we did, which interesting. It wasn't me and my mates. Yeah, that's right. We um we got contacted not long after Khan, I think. It was from a Sydney filmmaker named Murray Fay. Mm-hmm. And Murray um has a, a long background in improvised performance. Mm-hmm. Um he's an improviser actor, but he's also he's he's got a number of films that he's produced over the years. Um he's a little bit older than us, uh, so a little bit more wiser you could say. Michael, it's uh, Russell. Hey, Russell. Hey, man. So was this before you left Canberra for Goldman? Yeah, a long, long time before. <laughs> Dan? Oh, is that all you had? 
<laughs> I gave you the power oh. of the microphone and you asked. I, I got more questions, um, but I'm I, trying to do it in chronological order. Oh, okay. I remember the thing I remember actually very clearly from the shooting that film um, was it was in the middle of winter. Oh, yeah. And anyone else that's not from Canberra knows how cold Canberra can be in winter. Um, mm-hmm. And early in the morning, setting up shots for that day's theme and my fingers being so numb that I couldn't press the record button properly because it just wouldn't <laughs> depress the button. That was so, I just couldn't feel anything. It was a particularly cold winter, that one. Love Stuck was literally a feature film with no scripts. And so uh, when you have no scripts, you have no idea what the actors are going to do. And therefore, Mike and I, who are both on camera, were filming at exactly the same time. Like, yeah. how do we cover each other's shots? Well, yeah, we have yeah. to stay out of each other's shots. And how do we, how do we connect it together so that it makes sense? Mm. And I mean, we're thinking like how it might be edited. Um, at, while we're shooting it, as well as you know, trying to capture the scene and making sure the coverage is there, knowing that yep. we've basically got one take. Now we did a few takes, but it was yeah, it, it was confusing. Like, the, the, Murray Murray had an idea of where he wanted the overall story to go, so he had little tiny comments he would give to each actor in the scene. But only if it was something important, only one of the actors would know what they were going to say because Murray wanted them to say it. So that was. Mm. Uh, a true reaction from the other actor. Kind of sounds like to, you know. the same process they use for Blair Witch. Yeah, well, I guess Blair Witch yeah, was a, yeah, a film without a script in a way as well. But yeah, I mean, Lovestuck was obviously a romance, so it was, you know, there yeah. were a number of different characters and there was a, a message that obviously was trying to get across. And I mean, and, and this is the thing, and this is where it resulted because we kept capturing each other on camera like well, there's the camera operator there's the camera operator mm. um one of the the, the the tricks that i was so impressed with what murray did um was that the film identified the fact that it was being shot it was a film mm. um and mm. so there was it was like part documentary we we, we established there's a crew we established that we that it's an improvised script it established that no one knows what's going to happen mm-hmm. and we're just going to follow the action. And it kind of actually connected really well, which gave Michael a, a basically an acting credit in the film because he <laughs> turns up like with dialogue and everything. And you're just like, Oh, what, what we're always in dialogue, Michael. What dialogue did you have? <laughs> it was like, shit, I can't feel my hands. <laughs> I think you actually do say something <laughs> about the cold in the film. Yeah, probably did actually. I don't know. I only saw it once. She wouldn't mind seeing it yeah, I, I, that's the thing. I mean, that that hasn't ended up in on any streaming sites yet. It, it got a cinema release, which was really cool. We went up to Sydney to do that Q and A. Yeah. Um, with with some people that were given tickets. Yeah. You know, that, that was pretty cool. Yeah, and, and we good. actually had quite quite a lot of questions, which was like yeah. really good to see. Yeah, no, I I was really surprised by obviously the the audience reaction and um, mm. even before the podcast recording Russell and I were looking at some reviews for the mm-hmm. film and um, I was like oh wow this got reviewed by David Stratton um, no, really? yeah and I'm just like wow um, obviously Margaret didn't didn't have a have a say but I mean it was really cool that David had any he, he actually gave it a pretty good review That's awesome. um, yeah. which is quite honor, honor honorable I guess to one of Australia's most famous film critics to review mm. your film and actually say this is this is not too bad at all. I mean, it was pretty well received by the, the community and 
the improvised community. And well, that's the thing. It's so interesting shooting something like that when you have absolutely no idea what it's going to look like until you see the finished product. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it did take a long time for that to happen, but you know, it's great that it actually did happen. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was well received. And yeah, I was actually quite yeah, um, pleasantly surprised when we went and saw it. A little bit long, um, after that, um, Murray actually contacted us again. Um, I don't know if Dan remembers. Yeah, I um, remember. to do yeah, the he wanted to do an improvised pilot um, for a TV show. I can't remember what I think Dan was a you were away somewhere, I think. Yeah, I, I was I, I think I was overseas. So yeah. I, I wasn't and actually so, able to shoot it or do anything. Yeah. And so Mike took the yeah, lead. So I took you know, like basically over the whole production of getting this thing made and um, getting camera operators because he wanted it shot like the office because it was set in the oh, the MBN rollout. <laughs> um, so, was, so that would have sounded like a disaster was, and a half. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it was based around these people that were supposed to be helping to roll out the MBN and some of them had no idea what they were doing basically, which is, um, you know, true to form really. Um, so, yeah, that was really interesting because he actually brought back Gabby Milgate from Lovestuck who people should know from Muriel's Wedding, who utters the infamous line, you're a terrible Muriel. She's very good at her um, comedic timing. Her, her beats are really funny. Um, but yeah, that was a challenge because we had to shoot. I think we had two days to shoot. And then I had to edit the whole thing in two days, ready for like basically that same week. Uh, I remember, I think I edited for like 30 35 hours straight or something <laughs> to try and get it ready to be shown and um, yeah I mean that was pretty a pretty interesting um, experience and he showed it at um, the I think it was the street theatre yeah. one of their little showing rooms there and everyone seemed to really enjoy it but um, you know these big you know, stepping stones that just keep getting bigger and bigger um, obviously me and my mates versus zombie apocalypse is the biggest thing that um been involved with so far and that was what that took three well in my involvement anyway i think it was three years of my life probably more for dan mm. um you were but you were there at the but, start like when we oh yeah, yeah I was when at the Dec- very very yeah. first meeting with declan with you yeah right through till till the end uh just didn't really have much to do with the distribution side of stuff but yeah we we're there for pretty much you know 95 percent of it at least <laughs> mm. yeah no i mean like Doing that pitch was probably one of the most daunting things that. Yeah, I, I remember how anxious you guys were. <laughs> it was it was frightening to get up and actually pitch a movie to ask for money like that. It was just so well, new well, yeah, and different, and it had a you know it wasn't just a a practice. This was a real world situation, you know. Yeah, and we um, had to you to know... try and get someone to give us money. We spent a long time calling, you know, hundreds of different people trying to get the proposal together, you know, calling people saying that we had this film and we're getting, trying to get them to invest something, whether it be giving us free products or um, their time for whatever that we could put down mm-hmm. into the budget, you know, was, was quite challenging. You brought together some key elements um, in that side. There was um, the paintball gun company and the armor. So I kind of, you kind of, uh, well, that was just, like, oh, it's such a, a really good coincidence, really. 
Um, so we originally had someone else who was attached to be the armor, and Declan and I had a chat to him. And then what was it like two or two three weeks or something before we start? We were supposed to start shooting, and he just disappeared. And so we we're like, I was like, oh shit, what the hell are we going to do now? We need we need a freaking armorer. And so I just reached out to anyone I could find, and the only person that replied was John Bowring. And who you know, is John Bowring? Well, yeah, at first we, we just thought he was just, just, you know, really nice dude who said he'd come along and um, help us out and whatnot. Um, and turned out that he was the premier armorer in Australia. He basically built what is considered an armorer's job here in Australia. And so he designed and owns the design of Crocody, Crocodile Dundee's Knife. Uh, he designed Wolverine's claws um, in X Men Origins. Um, you know, he just did the light, latest Alien film, Alien Covenant. He did all the weapons on that. Like uh, he did all the Matrix weapons. Um, you know, he's a legend. Uh, and he said that he would come and do our little silly zombie film. Mm. And I, I think that was one of the the great things that you really brought to the film was because of your, you know, your personality, you know, you're so friendly and everyone loves talking to you. You kind of brought together some really talented, you know, high-end people because they just liked you. And that's a big part of succeeding in the industry is to be likable and to, to you know, seem genuine and, and be genuine. And I think that's, that's what really worked. You can't tell that I'm blushing right now. Well, that's true. <laughs> Um, blush at the truth. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, that's like, and John was just the nicest freaking dude. I can't speak highly enough about that guy. And he had the best stories I've ever heard. Yeah, well, speaking of stories, there was probably one of my favorite story moments that occurred during the filming of Me and My Mate. So we were completely honored and grateful to have the Australian comedy legend Jim Jeffries involved in the film. Um, to be able to bring him aboard was something truly special and one of the proudest things I believe I achieved as uh, a producer on this film. Is um, this story going to be safe for work? Uh, this story could be safe for work depending on how Michael tells it. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, uh, dude. Uh, so, yeah, and so, I mean, uh, I'm not very good dealing with being famous people, to be honest. I, I get starstruck. I'm really terrible with it. It took a while for me to not treat greg fleet as royalty um you know he was he i mean he's so down to earth really he's a really genuine honest guy and 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 you know i love fleety <laughs> fleety was was a pleasure to work with really um but i also had a lot of stresses that i had to deal with there were still financing challenges that were there yeah. so one of michael's roles was to i guess be the producer who looked after everybody um, to be the more the face and the, 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 you know, to make sure that the important people felt welcome and, 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 and their needs were met, I guess, I guess put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, it's not particularly a normal producer's role, but Michael was willing to take it on because it, 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 obviously it's one of his strengths as a, as a people person. Um, but that also meant you getting to look after Jim Jeffries and uh, you... Um, mates? Yeah, well, you kind of got to hang out with him a lot. Um, so yeah, it was more just making sure that they they had 
what they needed. And well, I mean, if they needed anything. It yeah. was making sure they actually turned up to set. Yeah, that too. It was more, <laughs> it wasn't about like the truth being, it wasn't yeah. anything about them. It was making yeah. sure that we actually had actors on set to work. Because mm-hmm. um, let's, let's be honest, when you have Greg Fleet, Alex Williamson and Jim Jeffries in a movie. all together who are all notoriously known for partying. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but, but I don't think there was any day that they, anyone was particularly late, but... Uh, there was um, there was one day. Yeah, there was one day. But we can let the audience pick who didn't turn yeah, up. Well, it wasn't Fleety. Um, if there's any listeners um, that want to delve more into some of the stories um, from Fleety's point of view, you can grab his book, These Things Happen. Um, he actually has a whole chapter based on um, his time filming me and my mates. Um, and um, I actually get a mention in that chapter. <laughs> Sweet. Um, but, um, but yeah, so Jim Jeffries. Yeah, Jim Jeffries. I like how you've taken this story, diverted slightly. <laughs> I'm assuming you're going to bring it back now. What, what happened um, to Jim Jeffries, Michael? Um, Did he so, like Canberra? No. <laughs> no, see, well, Jim, Jim was having a tough time because um, his young son, who he you know, loved dearly and had to leave, in the U.S., um, had a hernia, and he was very, um, very worried about him. And um, obviously, you know, Canberra's not the most exciting place in the world when you live in L.A. Yeah, so we were lucky enough actually to have him do um, one of his stand-up shows at the Ainsley Football Club. And what was so good about that was uh, he was trying out all of his new material on the crowd there for his. Um, special that he was going to be shooting a few months later. What was awesome about that was he actually, we were the first audience, he did his gun control bit on. And I remember that just being one of the, <laughs> the best pieces of comedy I'd ever heard. Yeah. And then you know, obviously, you know, as we know now, it's become a massive viral sensation once the, the special came out. So yeah, it was just really cool to, to hear him do new material. I you know, got to meet his parents, which was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, but anyway, um, so after the show, um, as you normally do, there was a bit of alcohol ingested by um, by certain people. Everyone, Jim I think. being one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's definitely because I was driving. Oh, uh, true. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> there was a lot of. He got very drunk. And he tells a lot of stories when he's drunk, which is actually really interesting. But um, well, most people had, you know, gone away. You know, crew and whatnot. Um, even the rest of the cast, it was just um, Dan, myself, Jim, and Jim's manager. And um, Dan decided he was going to call it a night, and because obviously I was driving Jim that around, so Dan went home. And so we're sitting there, and Jim turns to me and goes, um, "So, uh, you know, are there any strip clubs around?" And I was like, uh, "Yes, there are some, but it's a Monday night. Um, I don't think there's really going to be." anything open but I'll check for you so I looked it up and yeah there was nothing open so I went back and was like oh sorry Jim because uh, it's Monday night doesn't look like anything's open and there was a bit of a pause and he was like okay what about a brothel and I was like uh, I have no idea I've been past them but I've never been to one so I would have no freaking idea um, so I looked that up too and lo and behold there was one not too far away that was open seemingly all night um, 
So anyway, he goes, yep, we're going there. So I was like, right, that's a bit strange, but sure. This is Jim Jeffrey, so whatever. The, the Jim and his manager got in my car and we drove off. Um, all the way there, I'm thinking, what the hell is going to happen? Surely I'm just going to be sitting in the car waiting for them to come back out because that's just weird in itself. Um, anyway, we get there and Jim turns to me and goes, so Mike, you're coming in? And so I'm like, oh. Jim's looking at me with this like eager, nodding smile. Which I'm just like, okay, yeah, sure. So walking up to the door, Jim was kind of going, oh, because it was really early in the morning. He's like, oh, this is going to be so bad. Like, this girls are going to be terrible or something like that. We go up to the door. This little old Asian man comes out. He just doesn't say anything. Just opens this screen door and lets us in to what can only be described as a doctor's surgery-looking waiting room <laughs> from the 70s. It looked like it hadn't changed in, you know, 40 years. And there were like two chairs. Um, so Jim and I sat and they were facing each other. But I'm just sort of racking my brain going, what's actually going to happen here? Are we like all going in together? Are we <laughs> like, is, is he just going to send us like one girl, like, to the next one, each girl, each or whatever. Anyway, so I'm sitting there and I look over at Jim and he starts rocking backwards and forwards in his chair going, oh, this is so bad. This is going to be so bad. Oh, look at the carpet. Oh, it's just so bad. Um, and then the old man comes back and he's got one girl with him and he just goes, one girl, only one girl. And then there's silence. And then Jim just goes, nah, we're out. And we all quickly get up and leave. And as I sigh, as I sigh, sign of relief. Because <laughs> there was that one moment when we all locked eyes and you could tell that everyone was thinking, are we going in together? <laughs> Luckily, Jim was the one that was like, no, nah, because if he hadn't said it, I would have gone ahead. But anyway, so we get back in the car and we're driving back to the hotel and there are there are some other stories, but um, none that can can be told in public <laughs> until Fleety's next book yeah Fleety's next book <laughs> he actually has another book but it's, it's not a biography it's a novel Fleety is one of the funniest dudes I've ever been around my cheeks were constantly sore from being in the smile position like every single moment of being around him is just hilarity check out his Instagram he's on Instagram as Greg Fleetman um, so He's done so well since um, since the film. I think his his yeah. writing has really kind of changed him, and I think it's amazing that he's been able to do that. So, turning back to Alice, what are your main roles on Alice going to be? So, this will actually be my first feature film in being um, a full fledged producer. Uh, I was a co producer on Me and My Mate, so yeah, that's going to be. Uh, that's interesting in itself, just being a bit more involved in, in everything in the creative process. Um, and, uh, yeah, obviously learning, because I'm still, I'm still learning that, you know, producer role myself. So, um, And Dan's a, a good role model to have in that regard because he's been through it so many times. And, you know, and again, as I said, this stepping stone thing of things getting bigger and, you know, at least hopefully a little bit easier um, when we, you know, figuring things out and um yeah so i'm really interested to see how we um we pull this one together i 
I've been actually watching a lot of low-budget horror films this, well, last month, it's now November already, as part of a horror challenge um, that our um, camera operator from me and my mate Fish um, put together every year. Um, you know, you watch a horror movie a day, basically. And uh, this, this year I tried to watch ones that I'd never seen before, and it's especially low budget just to see how other people are doing it. So um, hopefully I can bring some of that into Alice. What are you hoping to see happen at the end of Alice? Well, we want to make it look in as big a budget as we can with the limited resources. So anything, you know, I'd love to see just for people to see it. You know what I mean? Um, there's going to be a lot of people involved in this film. And, you know, it's one of those things when it's done, you, you want people to see the, the effort that everyone put in to make this. I think that's one thing people who don't make films, you know, they, um, they don't realise how much time and effort goes into making um, this actually, the other day I was, I was filming a, a video for someone. They they said to me they didn't realize how much went into it. And this was just a you know, little two-minute you know, overview video of their little function. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't. They were like, I didn't realize how much effort went into making this sort of stuff. And I was like, you know, two-minute video. I was there for you know, a couple hours. Um, so I had a couple hours worth of footage. And like they just didn't realize that so much went into that. And I was like, yeah. Times that by a thousand million when you're doing a feature film. So, yeah, just people watching it, you know, um, there's just so much effort goes into them. Um, you know, there's a reason why credits are so long at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, all those people gave up their time, um, especially in low budget ones. You know, most, you know, bigger ones, obviously, everyone's getting paid. Um, but low budget, that's not always the case. And so, the best reward for people on low budget is for just for people to see them. So, Mike, I guess uh, something that we are trying to strive for um, through this podcast is to sort of get a sense of um, what we can pass on to our peers and our friends and, you know, those who are starting out in the industry. Obviously, being very aware that uh, we are always learning and we're always growing um, but what's some advice you could pass on to someone who wants to be a filmmaker? For someone wanting to become a filmmaker, I'd say just get out there, do something. doesn't matter what it is. It's just a, a little video for, I don't know, TikTok, <laughs> or, you know, your um, story on Facebook, you know, just do something. Get out there with your camera, you know, phones all have cameras these days. Just get out there and do something. Then go find the wider community you know the majority of us are very approachable you know we'll definitely have a conversation with you about you know whatever you want to talk about you know we're not scary um, we just want to make cool stuff with everyone and so that's my biggest advice would just be get out there look for those little short film competitions and it doesn't matter if you know you don't think your entry is up to scratch just put it in anyway because you never know someone else might think different and i think the other biggest thing is just to Listen to everyone else's point of view. Filmmaking is such a collaborative media. There's so many different voices. And I think sometimes some people can take their voice a bit too serious. Uh, like their word is gospel, maybe. Um, but I think it's very important to, to listen to everyone's ideas and point of view. Because in the end, it's ultimately going to make your projects better than just having your one view. So, Michael, yeah. I mean, thanks for spending some time with us, um, sharing a bit about, you know, our, our shared history and obviously sharing your advice there. I appreciate it. Um, yep. I 
don't know when I'll see you next. I'll come down and make a drive down <laughs> to Goulburn. Um, maybe, maybe soon. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we'll let you go. Uh, but as you're going, could you compliment me again, please? Mike, Michael? Hello. Michael? Mike? Oh, he hung up. Serves you right. Well, I want my compliment. In the next episode of Film Rhapsody, I catch up with one of Canberra's strongest voices in our film industry. A filmmaker who earlier this year won Best Australian Animation at Flipperfest and is the founder of Lights Canberra Action, Marissa Martin. Film Rhapsody is produced by Dan Sanguinetti and Russell Lee for Sanguinetti Media. Head to sanguinettimedia.com.au to subscribe to all our episodes. Oh, I didn't record it.